Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to speak to you today about the living word. The living word, that's the title of my message. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks and months about the power of the gospel. Amen? The word of God, the good news about Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, it's powerful. It has the ability to bring people out of darkness into light, from death into life. That is, there is power in this message because it can conjure is the wrong word, but it's, it's, it's it create faith in the hearts of people. Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Andreas has been talking to us about the value of spiritual meditation, specifically in the Word of God, right? Meditating in the Word, allowing it to become alive in our hearts and in our minds. Hebrews 4 verse 12, if we're speaking about the living Word, we're going to have to go here. Hebrews 4 verse 12, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's just camp here for a little bit and just break this down a little bit. The Word of God is living and active. In other words, it's not just a dead thing. It's not just, a, it's not just information. But the Word of God and how we think about this is important because it can mean many different things to many different people. Could it mean the Bible? Yes. This book is living and active. The words that it could, not the book itself. It would be very scary if your Bible was living and was hiding from you and, you know, come back here. I used to have a Bible that was called the Spirit-Filled Life Bible and I was too scared to open it in case it got out. The words here are life. They are living. And this we will also speak about Jesus Christ being the Word of God. 1 John. Uh, John 1, sorry. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That Word, verse 14, became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And by Him, everything that was made was made. And there was nothing that was made that was made apart from Him. So it's it's integral in all creation. But in, in other words, it's effective even in the substance and the matter that you and I touch and engage with every single day. Now, the Word of God also can mean the Word that's coming from the heart, the mouth of God now, the prophetic Word of God, which would never contradict the person of Jesus Christ. It will always affirm Him. It will also never contradict the Bible. Amen? Because then it can't be the Word of God, can it? And so we need to understand that we're talking about something that is alive. We cannot just put it in a box and contain it. We cannot say that we have the measure of understanding thereof. The moment we think we understand God, we become God. (laughs) We put Him in a box. We then determine how He works, what He will and won't do. And boy, does God love breaking out of that box. I don't know if you've ever reached a point in your life where you thought you had things about God all figured out, only to fall on your face. Many times. This is how God works. And then God surprises you and He goes... Yes, and he also works like this. (laughs) It's not that he doesn't work the way I thought he did, but he also works in other ways. Why? Because he's alive, and he is not subject to the limitations that I put on him. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. You know, your soul and your spirit are not separable. Your soul and your spirit are linked, but they're clearly definable. You can, there's, 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 if there, if there wasn't, a defining line, then what what would this verse be speaking about? The spirit of the recreated man, born and created in the image of God, with the nature of God, the nature that longs to please the Father, that does not long or gravitate towards sin, but that gravitates towards purity, versus the soul, which in our flesh is still being sanctified. It's still going on this journey of learning how to become like Jesus and think like Jesus and live like Jesus. And there's this line, and, and sometimes that line is, is difficult to discern. Is this my will or is this God's will? Is God leading me? Is this an unction from the Holy Spirit or is this just another one of my hairbrand good ideas? Sometimes it's hard 
to pick that. Is this discernment or is this criticism and judgment? Amen? Is this generosity or is this me trying to crowbar an outcome? Is this... There are so many areas in our hearts and minds where our motives are not even clear to ourselves. And that's why it goes on to say here, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the Word of God, when it illuminates our minds, we see the truth for what it is. And I remember Pastor Ken always used to say, yes, the truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. Because it points out the true intentions of the heart, all the prideful things that we keep hidden and we, we, don't, we don't like to acknowledge about ourselves. The Word has a way of stripping us and leaving us naked before God. Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 4 or 5, it speaks of Adam and Eve, and it says that they were naked and unashamed. And that's the state that God and the Word of God brings us into because we are naked before Him. We cannot pretend to be anything that we are not, but at the same time, because of Jesus, He has taken our shame away. He has dealt with the shame so that He can give us an identity of His likeness. And His greatest desire is that that likeness of Jesus be alive and active in us. Please say alive and active. Not alive and passive. Not alive and passive. Because some of us think it's alive because we think about it. It's alive because, oh, these wonderful ideas in our minds. But it's alive and active. I want to say to you that the only word that will truly impact the world around you, your family, your friends, your workplace, your colleagues, your fellow students, is the word that is alive and active or operational in you. It's not the word that you know about. It's not the theory or the principle you think you understand. It's the word that is alive and active in you, producing something special. So let's look for a moment at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. Joy is active. Peace, in the midst of what may seem like difficult situations. Patience. Patience. Active patience. Patience is not a passive thing. Patience is not a waiting Patience is an active force that enables you to stand and to endure and to suffer for a long time. That's why it's also called long-suffering, which means suffering for a long time. Kindness is a force. When the Word of God is active, something happens in us, and kindness is a fruit that begins to manifest itself. Goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these are fruit that the Word of God, the Spirit of God, is alive and active in us. It's the evidence. It can be seen. Amen? And we can also clearly see when the fruit of the Spirit or the Word of God is not alive and active in us. Why? Because then that means something else is alive and active in us. And that is why the message of Jesus Christ and the message of the Gospel from the very beginning has always been Go to the cross. It has always been pointing us to that place of crucifixion where that old man that is alive, that wants to be alive, that wants to express himself in selfishness and self-will needs to be crucified and put to death so that this new word, this new life, this new person of Jesus can come into effect, can come and change who we are and the way we think and the world around us. The only world word or the only, yeah, the only Word of God, the only script, parts of Scripture that, that are ever going to affect the world around us or even our own lives are going to be those parts that are active and alive and working in us. And folks, this is a progressive thing. Amen? This is a progressive thing. This is not about comparing me or you or to anybody else. Comparison is, is, is a foolish game to play. Because on one day you're going to feel beat up and down because you don't seem nearly as spiritual, nearly as generous, nearly as dedicated, nearly as disciplined as the next person. And on another day you're all puffed up with pride because you think, look at that person. Now, at least I pray so much and I've read so much of the Bible and I've done and I was in church every day. Fool's game, don't play it. Let's look at the life of Jesus. 
Matthew 7, 28 to 29 says this. We're going to read the same scripture from three different translations because each one breaks it out and broadens our understanding of it. The life of Jesus, Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Real authority. He himself had authority when he taught. Matthew chapter oh, same same verse let me read it to you from the amplified bible when jesus finished speaking these words on the mountain the crowds were astonished and overwhelmed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority to teach entirely of his own volition not as the scribes who relied on others to confirm their authority so his authority wasn't based on some kind of title or some kind of position his authority was based on the fact that he demonstrated what he preached. He lived it. He spoke it, and he showed it. Let's look at the, the message, the, the commentary that Eugene Peterson puts together. He speaks of verse 29 this way. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. There was an authority that came because Jesus walked in the fullness of the word he came to preach. Amen? Once you begin overcoming some things in your own life, you begin to gain a measure of authority in those areas. Not all authority, a measure of authority. It's very interesting, the disciples went out and cast out demons from all kinds of people, but there came a day where their measure of authority wasn't enough. You remember that? And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. In the epistle of 1 John, he writes a letter and he says, I write to you, children, because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I write to you, fathers, because you know he who was from the very beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the enemy. And the word of God dwells in you. Let me just read it again because I'm speaking out of memory here, and I don't want to misspeak. Oh, wait, it does help if you look in the right book. There we go. I have written to you, fathers, for you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. The second time he writes to the young men, or the first time he says, because you have overcome the wicked one. There is something about that word that enables us to walk in and receive in and, and walk in a place of victory, a place of overcoming, a place of authority. Amen? We've sung this morning how Jesus is the name above every other name, right? We've sung this morning about how at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He is the ultimate authority. And when that word begins to gain authority in our own lives and our own hearts and wills begin to yield to it, we begin to see the fruit and the evidence of that and the victory of that, and the peace that comes from that in our own lives. So that when we begin to speak to other people, they can see in us what we are talking about. You know, I had a foolish idea many, many years ago. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you about this, but I do it only for your edification and encouragement. I used to believe that if I was sitting in a bar with somebody and having a beer with them and relating to them on that level, that that would make them so much more open to the gospel because somehow we were relating to each other on the same level. It didn't work. Just putting it out there, by the way, it was a foolish idea. It didn't work. Why? Because I was there in it with them. I did not have any authority. I had no moral high ground because I was literally engaging with them in the things that they would. Now listen, it's not a sin to go and drink beer, nor is it a sin to sit in a bar. I don't want to put that on you. But the point is, where you walk in deliverance, where you walk in freedom, when you walk in joy, when you walk in peace, you walk with a measure of authority in that area that you are able, that others can look at you and they can see that you know what you're talking about. Let's just make this very practical. Do not go for marriage counseling to somebody who's been divorced three times. He has no authority there. None. Do not go for financial management counseling or financial advice to the guy who's just broken down his third pyramid scheme. You know, it's, it's just common sense. 
but those who have a wholesome marriage. Speak to them for marriage advice because they carry authority. They know how to do it. Those who are wealthy know how to manage money. That's where you get your financial advice from. Amen? And so here we see Jesus walking, in this walking, talking, preaching the Word of God, and doing so with authority. Why? Because where he went, people were getting healed. Where he spoke, demons were coming out of people. And as he spoke words, they were coming alive in the hearts and in the minds of the people. Why? Because the Word is living and powerful. Now, the Word has power. As we've said, it has the very power of God unto salvation. Jesus spoke the Word and demonstrated it with authority, yet... However, there is another factor in all of this that needs to be considered that determines the effectiveness of the Word of God. And even Jesus Christ himself, despite his, all, all his authority, despite the moral high ground that he held, he too had to be subject to this one principle. Can anybody tell me what that is? Anybody think they know? Despite the power of the Word of God, despite authority that may come, what is the determining factor as to whether or not that word will actually have power and influence in the life of somebody else? Sorry? No? And it's not love? He was living what he was teaching, and the reason it's not love is because God loves everyone in the world and he desires for all to be saved, but yet not everybody is. Why? Why is the word of God effective in some people's hearts and not in other people's? Why are some people's lives transformed by the Word of God and other people's aren't? Why? That's the question. Pride, submission, these are all great answers. Not receptive to it. What we're talking about here, you're all alluding to it, but I'm going to hit it on its head. It's the state of the heart. The state of the heart, the attitude, not everyone Jesus preached to believed. Not, not everyone he preached to accepted and received the word. The condition of the heart of those we are speaking to makes all the difference. But the condition of our heart when God speaks to us also makes all the difference. Why is it that sometimes we receive an unction to go and to do and we don't? The condition of our heart. Why is it sometimes we defend ourselves, we deflect accusation, we, we, you know, we, we, we defend the actions we, we're taking. We, uh, we, we pass off blame to other people, the condition of our hearts. Why is it we still struggle with pride? Why is it there's a lack of repentance? The condition of our hearts. And now while we have no control over the hearts of, of others and how they may respond to God, we certainly do get to determine the level with which this Word and the Spirit of God gets to influence and impact our own lives. Let's talk about the parable of the sower today. That's where I'm going to go today. I, I don't know how many times I've preached on this parable, but every time I'm confronted by it, every time I look at this parable and I consider my own heart, I, I realize there's room for tinkering. Most of us can name the four different soil types, right? The stony ground, the hard ground, the path, we can the stony ground, the ground with thistles and the good ground. We can name those, but the question is, can we accurately identify our own heart state? Can we see the internal shortcomings that hinder or limit what the Word of God desires to do and to activate and to make come alive in and through us? Well, let's jump into the portion of Scripture, Mark chapter 4, and let's work our way through this parable and listen to what it is that Jesus says to us. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And as he sat in the boat, while all the people remained on the shore, he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop some 30, 60, and 100 times as much as had been planted." 
Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Verse 10. Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't that the whole purpose Jesus came? That they would turn to him and be forgiven. This, this, this verse really troubled me and why are you hiding forgiveness from certain people, Jesus? Because that's what it seems like he's doing, even though he isn't. Biblical scholar uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan teaches that Jesus didn't use parables to blind people, but he used parables because people were blind. They couldn't see. He said Jesus used parabolic method not in order to blind them, but in order to make them look again. Not in order to prevent them from coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them toward a new attention. You see, folks, a desire to receive Jesus and the Word of God for the first time as our Lord and Savior or to you and I today as we hear the Word, as we read it in our daily lives, and yet at the same time to hold on to our current perceptions, our rights, our points of view brings us into a very difficult situation where we are internally conflicted there's a conflict in our soul where there's this desire to want to go two ways at the same time. And this is what Jesus is trying to prevent here. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus says, Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to be my follower, let him deny himself or must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Right? Now, if you don't fully understand that and Jesus is offering you, and this is what we sometimes do, come to Jesus and be saved. Come to Jesus and be blessed and we don't address the other side of what needs to be turned away from, we're actually not helping people. We're bringing them into a state of conflict in their own soul. A parable is like a doorway with a sign on it. Only those who truly desire what is on the other side will take the trouble to go through it. You with me? It's like a warning sign. It's like when you go on, on, on the roller coaster ride. Sometimes faith is like that. And you walk up and they, they say to you, you need to be at least this height. I still want to go, I am that height. And you walk a little bit further, further and it says, oh, by the way, if you're pregnant, not a good idea. And if you've got a heart condition, not a good Epilepsy, not a good plan for you to be on this ride. These are all things you need to be willing to say, okay, I, I don't have any of those. I don't have any of those. And coming into the Christian life is kind of similar, although we're not talking about you know, biological conditions that need to be given up. We're saying, all right, I, I'm coming in. I, it's not that I meet the grade or I'm tall enough but there's things that need to be let go of. There's things that I need to be willing to part with. Otherwise, I can't go on this ride. Jesus doesn't open the ride to everyone. The ride is available, and it's free for everyone to go on it. But only those who are willing to let go of things are truly allowed to come onto the ride. Jesus is being merciful towards people. Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees who put great yokes of expectation onto people. Jesus' mercy here is at work. That's why he speaks in parables. And so verse 13, we'll get back into Mark 4. When Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants the seed by, taking, by speaking or by taking God's word to others. Other versions say, the sower sows the word. What is the seed? The word. Let's ask you again. It's not a trick question. What is the seed? Word. The word. If you miss the key to the parable, you miss the parable completely. If you think the, word, the, the seed represents money, you miss the parable. If you think it represents love, you miss the parable. If you think it represents hard work, you miss the parable. You've got to have the key, and you only understand the parable when you have the key. So Jesus gives them the key. The seed is... The Word of God. And what are we talking about today? We are talking about the living Word of God. You see, the seed holds within it the potential for life. That's what a seed does, right? It holds within it the potential for life. The living Word. 
when it is placed into the right environment. That's when a seed comes to life. And it's kind of like the Word of God is exactly the same way. When the environment of our hearts is right and ready, willing and yielding, willing to yield to the Word, it can produce life. It can produce power. It can change things. But when the heart isn't really ready, we find things happen along the way, and we're going to read about those now. Verse 15, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and take it away at once. It doesn't even penetrate. It doesn't even penetrate. They see the sign on the door, but it doesn't appeal to them. They walk right past. They're not interested in going. They're, why? Because they're going in another direction. They're enamored by something else. The enemy has done a good job of blinding their minds to the truth. Let me read to you what, again, Eugene Peterson's commentary, the message says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4. to 4. If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think, they can, he, they think he can give them what they want and that they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth that they can't see. You know, you had a, had a conversation with somebody and they only hear what they want to hear. You try to talk to somebody, but they can only see what they want to see. That's what he's talking about here. And the gospel makes no sense to a person like that. Their hearts just are not open to receive it. Let's get back into Mark 4, verse 16. So that's the path. That's the hard ground. Verse 16. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. You know, I want to say to you that for you and I today, this also applies to those of us who have a shallow understanding of God's word, a shallow understanding of how he works. You know, maybe they thought that praying a prayer or going to church would miraculously solve their problems. Oh, but I came, I showed up, nothing changed. I try, I'll never forget when I was working, there was a, a gentleman who... Um, at one point, you know, he had a foul mouth. And then a few months later, I saw he was wearing one of these what would Jesus do bracelets. And so I didn't say anything. I just left it. And he, you know, he, I was watching. He, he wasn't swearing so much. He used to smoke. He wasn't smoking. And I didn't say, I just left it. And a few months later, I see that's gone. And I come into his office, I come into his, his uh, warehouse area, the, the, the yard at the back. And he's standing there having a cigarette and he, 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 I remember he swore at somebody. I said to him, listen, man, I've got a question for you. A little while ago, you were wearing one of these what would Jesus do bracelets. Now it's gone and you're swearing at the stop. What happened? He said, no, I tried that. It didn't work for me. <laughs> In other words, shallow. He didn't really press it. He didn't, it there wasn't real. That's what this, this, this is talking about. Somehow we thought Jesus would solve my problems. Somehow I came to Jesus and I thought he'd sort this out. He'd provide this need for me. He'd save that one. He'd heal that one. But when he didn't, I got offended. I also know somebody who, uh, who, who was unfaithful to his wife. And he started going to church, and he went on a men's retreat, and he was convicted of it, and uh, he, uh, he felt it was the right thing to do to confess to his wife of his infidelity. And when he did, his wife left him. And he was angry at God. I did what I thought was the right thing to do. And look what he did. I did this because he told, you know, I felt led by him to, to confess. And what's the result? My marriage is gone now. It's God's fault. Again, somehow we think that just doing something or coming that's going to solve all the problems is going to make everything right. Remember, this is a journey. This comes little by little. It also, you know, it also means running to apply something without really understanding it. It's a lot of zeal without the wisdom. I remember in my early days of learning how to walk by faith, how I would fall on my face time and time again because I didn't understand. I was shallow in my understanding of how faith worked. I thought I could just start saying things and they would happen. I speak, God listens. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Any of you learned that yet? Now, I still believe that when God speaks and I put his words in my mouth, then stuff does happen. Yes, I still believe that with all my heart. But I had to get beyond the shallow understanding. 
And sometimes in our journey of faith, we take the sort of laissez-faire approach where we kind of check out and, it, it, okay, I'll do this or that, and then God must just do, and then God will take care of it. Shallow understanding, where God longs to transform our lives to see and to think and to apply and to live according to His ways and principles. All right, let's move on to the next kind of soil. Verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. Anyone of those? Anybody have any worries this morning? You smile at me knowingly. The lure of wealth. Anybody want some more? A nicer car, bigger house, fatter bank balance. Don't look at me so smug. And the desire for other things, other things, and that is just as broad as it could be, because all of us desire different things, don't we? And it's not being specific, but what does he talk about desire? He's talking about desiring something to the point where I am pursuing it. We are pursuing, we are engaged in going after other things. So no fruit is produced. That word that longs to produce fruit, because of distraction, And because of preoccupation with other things produces no fruit. There's no change. There's no change. And I think for me, this is the one I see so prevalent in the church today. And let me be honest with you, this is the one I struggle with probably the most. Distraction, preoccupation with all the important things, with all the other things that need to be done. The worries that come along the way. Now listen, every one of us in life is going to face things that we worry about because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And things surprise us. Needs come out of nowhere especially when you have kids in school. All of a sudden, now there's this need and this exam that has to be paid for and this field trip. Oh, and we, wanna, we think it's a good idea that your kids should have this, and we've told them so. And so now you need to pay for it. That's just one of the areas. Other times, other things happen. Life catches us by surprise. We weren't ready for it. We don't know how this is going to turn out. It's not... The, What we do with those worries makes all the difference, though. Bringing them into the truth of God's Word, allowing His Word to inform and speak into those places so that we live in peace and we walk in peace. Yet the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Listen, there's three parts in that verse, folks. Three parts. Number one, those who... Go, go back one verse, please, today. Oh, no, 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 yeah. Here, number one is here. Number two, accept. And number three, produce. Here, accept, produce. Now, we could say it's our job to hear and accept, and it's God's job to produce. That's not entirely true. We produce with the help of God, the fruit. Amen? Not, now listen to me, this isn't about self-effort. This isn't about working hard to make things happen. What this is about is accepting responsibility for the outcomes of our decisions and working together with God to produce a life that shows forth fruit. Amen? What does a tree do? A tree brings forth fruit. And you know a tree by its fruit. Amen? The tree drinks up, if you like, the word, and that word nourishes that tree. It causes that tree, if you go and read Psalm 1, this is what Pastor Andreas spoke to us, blessed is he who does not do da 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 but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, who brings forth his fruit in due season, and will not wither when the heat comes. This is the hallmark of what a Christian should look like. Stable, consistent, bearing fruit in its season. These people who have a heart that is open and receptive to the Word, who are willing not to just hear the Word of God, but to accept it as truth, to conform to it, no matter how painful it might be. These are the ones where the Word comes alive in them and enables them to produce fruit that apart from that alive power, apart from that power, apart from that grace, is impossible to produce. It's God working in us. This is what grace is. It is the Word of God at work bringing about change that is supernatural. 
And this is what Jesus demonstrated. It's the authority that he walked in. And though not everybody responded to the word of God that was alive and effective through the way Jesus, oh, through, through the words of Jesus, through the life of Jesus, though not everybody responded, folks, many did. Many did. And so we cannot use the lack of response by some as some kind of excuse. We cannot use the lack of, 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 of engagement by others to say, no, 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 uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not you know, as powerful or as good. as No, 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 there's nothing wrong with the word. There's nothing wrong with the seed. And the seed still works. Folks, have you noticed how often I use the phrase from this pulpit, in and through? In and through. When we talk about the Word of God, the influence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the way God works, in and through. In and through. And we're sitting here this morning, many of us have been coming to this church and have been a part of the spiritual family for many, many years. We've had the Word wash over us week by week by week by week by week. The question is, what is it doing and what is it producing? In and through our lives. What is the heart attitude that we are carrying? Can we accurately identify our own heart state? The degree to which we are conformed to the likeness of Christ, both in character and in industry, will tell us a lot about our heart state. It is an attitude that leads to fruit, not manufactured fruit through self-effort, but it's in the thoughts and it's the in, in the intentions of the heart. We're going right back to where we started, Hebrews 4.12. The thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Can we see the internal shortcomings that hinder and limit what the Word of God desires to accomplish in our lives? Can we see that there are parts where our understanding is shallow or where the Word of God has not been allowed to penetrate because we maintain an attitude, we maintain a perception about ourselves or the world around us that is un, we are not willing to change, we are not willing to yield, we may not be willing to forgive, we're not willing to let go of that prejudice. And so the Word of God can't really produce any fruit there because there's a rock in the way. Are there areas in our heart where we've, we've basically dismissed the Word of God before it's even entered in? Are there areas in our heart where we are so distracted? Or where thorns and thistles, other ways of thinking, other habits continue to come in and undermine the truth of God's Word? Bring with... Perhaps one of the primary ways this happens in the life of most believers is in the area of shame. God says you're forgiven. God says you are made the righteousness of Christ Jesus a righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yet because of habits, weeds that continue to remain, you live in a state of shame and of guilt because that truth has not been allowed to fully penetrate. You don't truly believe that God can really set you free. You don't truly believe that that area of your life can, can gain a measure of victory and discipline. But I want to say to you today that by the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you, we can change. The Word of God can make things come alive in us. Can we see the internal shortcomings that hinder our, the, what the God wants to do be dealt with? Yes, absolutely they can, by the help of the Spirit. And the same seed that produces fruit is the same tool that prepares the ground. Did you get that? The Word of God is both the seed that produces life as well as the tool that enables us to till the ground, to prepare the ground, to prepare our hearts. It's, a, it's an incredibly powerful word. I know I'm running out of time, but bear with me for another five minutes. Are you okay? Do you want to stand up and stretch your legs? Because I do want to finish today. This is a very simple message, folks. It's a very simple message. But I really want you to get how powerful and transformative this can be in our lives. I'll never forget the day a friend of mine said to me, Michael, what changed you? She knew me once, and years later she came into contact with me again, and she said, this is a different Michael. This is a different person. Now, the difference was imperceptible to me because it was gradual over many, many years. That's why when you see someone's kids who you haven't seen in a long time, the common phrase is, oh, how you've grown. It's normal. 
But listen, Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 says this, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's desire is that His Word will accomplish in us change. Now let me ask you this. And let's be honest with ourselves here. It's a rhetorical question, so please don't shout out. I don't want to know about your dirty laundry right now. What is the last thing that God has been dealing with you about? What is God speaking to you about? Is it in the area of an habitual sin? Is it in an area of your disciplines? Is it in an area of your character? What is God speaking to you? What area of your heart is God working on? None of us is perfect. None of us have arrived. Maybe we're impatient. Maybe we've got to treat our wives better. Maybe we've got to treat our husbands better. Maybe we've got to treat our kids differently. What is it that God is speaking to you about? And here's the question. What are you going to do about it? Because, listen, I've been there, and I know you've been there too. God is talking to me about this, and I'm listening to what he's saying but I'm not changing anything. I know God's will about this area. I know that God is saying to me something here, but I'm unyielding. Why? For whatever reason it may be. It could be pride. It could be insecurity. It could be, could be any number of reasons under the sun. But I want to say to you today, maybe it's time to do some gardening in our own hearts. I brought some tools to help you this morning. Now listen, I need to be clear with you today. I don't particularly enjoy gardening. These are my tools. I don't particularly enjoy gardening, but I do enjoy having a beautiful garden. I love being able to be in my garden and see the bushes trimmed and the grass mowed and flowers budding. This time of the year, snowdrops are coming out. One of my favorites. I love snowdrops. Those of you looking at me as if I'm crazy, they're a little bulb. We're not in Johannesburg. I'm not talking about those snowdrops. They're a little bulb that comes up in winter and they sprout and they produce their, they produce their flowers into late, late winter and early spring. And I love tulips too, but these are some of my favorite things. Now, I don't always enjoy tending the garden, but I always enjoy the fruit of having tended my garden. I always enjoy sitting back and going, that looks good now. Tending your heart is not always a pleasant process. It takes energy, it takes discipline, it takes work. Maybe, your, maybe it's been so long that your secretaries look a bit like this. They're seized. Anybody have secretaries like this? Heart secretaries I'm talking about. Where I've kind of neglected dealing with my own attitudes for so long that the secretaries I would normally have used have actually seized. And maybe I need to go to the Word of God and get, get a new pair of secretaries. You know, I, this needs to be trimmed. This needs to be pruned. This, this, this area of my vine has gone wild in that direction. Maybe it's an appetite. Maybe it's an attitude. And that just needs some trimming. Maybe I need to get some. But maybe it's actually been a while. and Maybe we actually have to bring these out. Maybe there's, there's actually quite a bit of work that needs to be done. Maybe God's been talking for quite some time. And, you know, we've got to, we've got to get this. We, 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 there's a lot of trimming and shaping that needs to happen because God's been speaking for a long time and we've actually been doing nothing and it's gotten to the point now where major work is required. Perhaps even to the point of, of needing this. Perhaps God is trying to chop some things out of your life. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. And I know that there are some... There are some areas, I've recently been chopping some wood, it's, it's winter for my fireplace, and there are some things where this just hasn't worked. I've had to resort to this boy. You can see I've recently sharpened it, it's doing a good job. Uh, this also does a good job in the ground, by the way, this is a hoe with an axe head on it, versatile instrument. Uh, make sure the kids are not close when I'm wielding this one. But sometimes there are things in us that need real strength, real power. In fact, truth be told, I've been chopping some logs lately that are so heavy I've needed to borrow a friend's chainsaw. Maybe you need to have a, a conversation with a good friend of yours who has authority in an area. They have chainsaw faith. Maybe you need to speak to your pastor about some things and say, hey, pastor, I actually really need some help here. 
because I've tried cutting it with my secretaries, but they've seized. I try to get some new ones. I got a new word from God, but it's not, it's not doing anything. It's not producing change in me. I, I tried hacking it with my hacker. What are these? Secretaries. What are these called? Shears. Thank you. That's what you call sheer ignorance. I've tried hacking it, but it hasn't worked. I've, brought, I've, I've hit it with the axe, and I'm putting in self-effort, but nothing's changed. Maybe the ground is hard, and we're going to have to hoe it. Maybe it's time we just you know, need to till the soil. You see, generally, these problems arise because we've neglected this one. Probably the weakest instrument out of everything I've got here is this little weed fork, a little fork to take out weeds. Weed puller outerer is the official name. <laughs> you see, if I'm willing to notice weeds and deal with them immediately, if I take the time on a regular basis to go and take the weeds out of my lawn, they don't become a major issue, do they? Folks, you can't stop weeds coming in. You can't stop the enemy sowing seeds into your heart as well. You can't stop worries and anxieties coming, but you can use your little weed tool of the word and weed them out so that they don't grow to the point where you need to be cutting them back and trying to chop them out and trying to dig out roots of a major stronghold that's now been established in your life. Now listen, the word of God, I can use any one of these as an analogy. There are times where little adjustments need to be made. There are other times where strongholds need to be broken. And the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged shears or secretaires or sword. It is able to do the work. The question simply remains whether we will allow that Word to take effect and to do the work that it desires to do in us and then with authority through us. This happens on the daily, folks. Every day, as I spend time in the Word, every day, as I allow the Word of God to discern my thoughts and my intentions. A beautiful garden does not happen without a concerted effort and with the investment of plenty of time, money, and energy. And I want to say to you today, a beautiful heart does not miraculously just come about. It takes a concerted effort and the investment of much time and money and energy. And as we do so, the Word of God becomes to, try, to transform us. If you follow on from Matthew chapter 4, with, where we ended, you'll see immediately Jesus goes to, a light is not put under a, a bed or under a basket, but a light is meant to shine. He goes from the seed that produces something in us, so alive, so beautiful that we shine, that we are literally the difference in a circumstance or in a situation. And that's the desire of God for every single one of us. How? Through and by and in the power of His marvelous, wonderful Word. So I want to ask you today, how about getting into your garden? How about tending to your heart and your soul this week? How about going to spend some time in Psalm 1 this week and pondering through that and thinking about that? How about asking God, Lord, are there weeds that need to be pulled up? Are there whole trees that need to come down because they're alien and they're sapping my strength and they're sapping the resources, that I, my, the resources of my soul so that I can cleanse myself from these things, so that I can get rid of the weeds and be a garden that really shines and shouts your glory? This is a very simple word, folks. This is the, this is the most basic of all the parables that Jesus told but yet it is so profound and so pivotal in each and every one of our lives. So that when we come here again next Sunday, our hearts are so ready and they're so prepared that no matter what is preached from the Word of God, it's going to land and we're going to say, yes, Lord, I want to change. Yes, Lord, I'm going to apply. Yes, Lord, I'm going to go out and do. Yes, Lord, I'm committed to this because my heart is hungry and longing and willing to be like you and to walk in your power and into your ways. So if that's not your heart this morning, let's get some gardening done. Spend some time in your heart looking at your attitudes. When we are not enthusiastic about the Word of God and about the things of God, there's a problem in our hearts and some gardening needs to be done. Would you stand with me?
I'm hesitant to do an altar call this morning. I don't want to bring you to the front and have a, a special prayer prayed over you because you know what? The power for the change and the, and the transition and the shift that God is wanting to do is not one that comes through the laying on of hands. It is one that comes through, simply through the yielding of hearts. And so, Father, as we are here in your presence this morning, we want to thank you that indeed your word is living and powerful. Thank you, Lord God, that your word to us is at work in our hearts and minds even now in this moment. And we thank you, Father, today that you have given us ears to hear and you have given us a heart to understand. And Lord, even as we've just used the very simple analogy of gardening, Father, you used the same analogy just talking about soil types. Father, I want to pray that you would give us the wisdom and the grace to tend to the soil of our hearts. Lord, would you by your Spirit come and help us break up the fallow ground, we pray. Break up that which has become hard and crusty through just repeated traffic, through just going through the motions, repeating the processes again and again, doing the same things over and over, where the life and the joy has been sucked out. Father, forgive us in these areas. Maybe we come to church, maybe we pray, maybe we spend time in your word, but there's no life anymore. It's just going through the motions. It's the well-trodden path. Lord, breathe on us, I pray, by your word and by your spirit. Cause the power of that word that is within us to come alive once again. Bring us to that place of repentance, Father God. Bring us to the cross, Lord Jesus, where we say to you, Father, this soil is willing to yield to the seed of your word. It's willing to make room to your word. It is subject to your word. Come and have your way in me that you may produce wonderful fruit in and through my life. That when people look at me, Lord Jesus, they will see not me, but they will see you and your glory shining through me. The fruit and the evidence that I am saved, that I am changed by the power of your word. And so, Lord God, give us grace, I pray to know where to reach out and ask for help. Give us grace, I pray, to deal with the habits and the things that keep us, Father God, in a state of apathy, a state of just going through the motions, that we may have gardens that truly are a joy and a delight to your spirit and a delight to us as we enjoy your presence. Thank you that you are in the work of transformation. Thank you for the seed of your word and the power thereof in our hearts and minds. We commit it to the ministry of your, of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.